Hi, everybody. Ezra Levant here in Toronto. My good friend Sheila Gunn-Reed is out west, outside the city of Edmonton. Sheila, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Um, as usual, there's absolutely nothing happening in the world that we should be talking about with our viewers. It's just another boring news day here at Rebel News. <laughs> you know, we've got a ton of stuff. It's a pleasure to be sitting here in the live stream. I used to do the live stream quite a bit, but we got so darn busy. Our company really doubled in size over the last year, Sheila. So, yeah. I mean, literally just helping to run that and and <clears throat> over the last year, as our viewers know, really spinning off an enormous project called the Democracy Fund and staffing that up. So whereas in the early days of the pandemic, what a pleasure it was to actually do a daily live stream, um, it got to the point where there were so many other duties on me and we had great talent who who did the live stream, um, I mean, yourself and David, of course, uh, <laughs> was the the most i think favorite combo but we've tried out so many other um folks over the last year it's been great but i still um i love the live stream because there's a lot of things i like to get through that i don't have time to do on my show which is more scripted uh, i like the interactive nature of it i like that uh it's okay for me to sort of rant for a bit um in a way that's a little bit different than than on the produced shows and um, and there's just so many things I want to say in the middle of the day. I don't want to wait till 8 p.m. So that's what I like about the live stream. And um, so I'm I'm in I'm already enjoying being back, even though I haven't really said a word about the news yet. <laughs> it's good because uh, you can get it out of your system instead of calling me in the middle of the day <laughs> and talking to me about all these things. But you know, you you point out that it, the company has grown. And I think we're truly more interactive than ever. And our reach has grown. Specifically, we're trying out something new today. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we tried out something new there, too. And it seems to be a success. So initially, we used to just stream this show on the censorship platform of YouTube. And we still do. But there are certain things that we can't say on YouTube, even if it's true, even if it's reported elsewhere, because we're conservative, there are certain things we can't say. So there may come a time during the show today, viewers, that we may cut our feed to YouTube. And if that happens, I'll invite you to join us on one of the several other platforms that we're streaming on today. I think I counted them up. It's seven simultaneously that we're streaming on. So, of course, the censorship platform of YouTube, the quasi-censorship platforms of Twitter and Instagram. Um, so we've got this for the first time. We're trying that out over there. And we have the free speech platforms of Rumble, Odyssey, and SuperU, where we're also streaming. And those last three give our viewers at home an opportunity to support the work that we do completely willingly, unlike what Justin Trudeau does to our viewers by making them support the mainstream media that they don't watch and talks down to them anyway. So you can leave us a Rumble rant, an Odyssey hyper chat, or a Super You shout. And if you do that, that's your chance to interact with each other because myself or Ezra um, will do our best to address those paid chats on air when our producer sends them to us. And I think that's all the nuts and bolts. Well, that's great. So uh, if I've got them right, you said Twitter, YouTube, Rumble, Instagram, Odyssey, Super You, oh, and, and is Getter on Getter. Also? Getter. Yes. So I forgot Getter. I'm very sorry, Getter friends. I forgot <laughs> you. We try, We started that out about three weeks ago, and it's been a, a great success for us. We we're getting a lot of engagement on Getter, and that is a wonderful free speech platform. I'm really glad to hear it. I, I'm not even up and running on all these platforms myself. I had some trouble signing up to Getter, but hopefully I can uh, work through that. I And, of course, there's Trump's uh, uh, imminent 
platform called Truth Social. So that, I pr presume, uh, will be the eighth platform. That's pretty great. And the thing is, it, it came out of necessity, not out of choice. We were happy campers with YouTube for for years and mm -hmm. we were very, we were one of the fastest growing Canadian channels until they decided to uh, censor us and throttle us uh, specifically because of our editorial outlook. So that necessity became the mother of invention. Anyways, we're talking about talking, which is never good. Mm -hmm. We should just talk about the substance talk. itself. Um, <clears throat> I wanna uh, say one thing, which is um, we are expanding our little toehold in America. Um, we haven't had American talent in a long time. Um, Gavin McInnes was probably our most famous American, and he left us in the fall of 2017. So it's really been four and a half years since we've had an American presence. Our friend Yankee Pollock works from Florida. He's a dual citizen, but um, uh, he, he's more a behind-the-scenes fella. He's at CPAC, but he's he's not like a big uh, he's not a on-the-spot news reporter. He's he works from his office. Um, but I'm pleased to say that we are debuting a couple of uh, new talents, even just on a try-em-out kind of basis. Um, we have a freelancer who's embedded on the U.S. trucker convoy. His name is Jeremy Lafredo, and he he's a man of the left who yeah. believes in the working classes and their right to organize. And... Other traditional leftist views like personal privacy and integrity of your own body and being skeptical of big business, including big pharma, and being doubly skeptical of the merger between big business and big government, which historically was one of the definitions of fascism. So it's very interesting to me to work with people who probably two years ago we wouldn't have found common cause with. I had a good heart-to-heart -heart with Jeremy. I said, look, there may be other things we disagree on. Let's focus on what we agree on right. while we're, till we're through the crisis. And then when we're through the crisis, we can go back to disagreeing on other things that are less important. But for now, we have this common purpose. I really enjoyed that, and I really mean it, by the way. And the last year especially has really been an opportunity. I mean, you would think you can't teach an old dog new tricks. But but I I really believe that I have changed my outlook on on groups of people. I, I, I organize the world differently in my mind now. If I see a worker who's in a union, whose union bosses sold them out to the corporations to get a forced jab, I'm with the worker. I'm and I and I think well why did the union the yellow union sell them out to the company these are thoughts and words I probably wouldn't have had 2 years ago but they're a very genuine feeling in me now we deal with people who are a little bit more age of aquarius hippy dippy you know crystals yep. kind of thing now people again who 2 years ago I probably would have sort of chuckled at um but I've deeply sympathized with their personal bodily integrity people who are very careful about what they eat people who are you know, I used to sort of chuckle at folks who were into supplements. I mean, not chuckle. I just sort of thought, okay, that's a different approach than me. You know, vegetarians. <laughs> but people who really thought about yeah. what they put in their body, as you can see, I have in 50 I think years, you think about it a lot. I think about it a lot, but, I, but not in it. a discriminating <laughs> manner. My point is people, and I think you're right. Imagine someone who's so exquisitely careful about what they eat, yeah. how they treat their body, exercising, vitamins, uh, and, and I think of, you know, a, a lot of moms when they get preggers, 
They take folic acid. They don't eat raw cheese or sushi because they're trying to be very, very careful about their body. Again, that's never been me. But now those people are being forced to get a jab of an experimental jab and then another one and then another one and or on pain of losing their job. And so, again, I find myself in alliance with people who maybe two years ago I would have sort of uh, probably even made jokes about. In fact, I, I, I've always, for, for a long time, I have had jokes, you know, standard jokes about, uh, about those things. But I find myself in alliance with them now, and I, and I don't find that contradictory. I find it actually, uh, I, I like the fact that I can change how I think when the world changes. You know what? I don't feel like I have changed how I thought. I, it just, for me, I feel like all of this confirms my pre-existing biases against unions, that I don't think they're in it for the working man, and they never have been. And I've just watched them get tested, and they're not. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I have, my, philo my political philosophy is leave me alone and I'll leave you alone, and that counts for the government too. Mm -hmm. And it's nice to see people from the left uh, holding hands with me on the, on that same opinion, mm. where I, I just want to be left alone by them, by the government, by everybody. And they're having a real awakening, too, I think, because they never had, f for them, for so long, the government was on their side. Mm. I think we have a And they're video. getting mugged by reality. Yeah, it's, you know, well, I mean, I saw that poll that um, um, Abacus did about three weeks ago showing that 57% of Green Party voters saw themselves reflected in the truckers. 57%, other than PPC members, it was the highest number. And think about it, of course they did. Yeah. They're, they're, they're a little bit dissident. They're, they're really conscious about health. They're always skeptic about big pharma. And their party sold them out. Anyways, I, I, I think I see it teed up. I wanted to show you a quick video. We've got Jeremy Lafredo, who is on freelance assignment for us, with the convoy, do we have a little bit of uh, viz from that? Because because there is this growing convoy and it seems to be gathering some steam. Let's see if we can go ahead, Sheila. You were saying? No, I was just going to say, and the people in this video are exactly the people we're talking about, mm. where they would probably not meet up with truckers in their usual life, like blue collar Trump voting truckers. Um, but there are people from the Occupy movement who would probably, if they were in Canada, be in the Green Party. They're on this convoy, too, and he ran into them. Here, let's take a look. I'm Jeremy Lafredo on assignment for Rebel News in Kingman, Arizona, where the U.S. trucker convoy arrived last night. They departed 300 miles east of here in Adelanto, California, and arrived around sundown. They're set to leave Kingman, Arizona in about two hours. You can see the sun's coming up, the truckers are waking up before their 300-mile stretch to New Mexico east. All the trucks behind me are brand new. You can tell that the truckers have grown exponentially since leaving California. This grew overnight. I mean, there was half the trucks here last night, so there's a lot of support. We're bigger on semis, we're bigger on campers, and we're bigger on cars. Uh, as far as the uh, convoy and how big it's gotten, I started in California. It was, uh, it's amazing. Uh, the amount of support and people, I, I mean, I, I it just, it, it, you emotionally break down. Uh, I've done it two, three times, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's heart-wrenching. We need to get rid of these mandates. People are getting fired. People are uh, uh, can't get in the hospitals. Nurses are getting fired. Uh, so many people's lives are, are at, at danger right now. So basically, we need to uh, uh, raise the word and uh, uh, bring into fruition that that our government needs to work for us. We don't work for them. Uh, it's just not, it's just not us truckers, but it's everybody. Uh, it's not here. The U uh, here in the U.S. across the world. 
they need to know that we ain't going to deal with it no more. That's the reason why I support it. For me, I was the, an activist with Occupy Wall Street. I stood with Standing Rock. I stood, um, you know, with people all across this country for injustice. And this, you know, forcing people to take a vaccine or a medical procedure is at the heart of uh, there's authoritarianism and tyranny. We support the convoy because it's time for America to be free again. We're doing this for our kids and our grandkids. And I hope everybody joins in and does the best they can to support America. We support the convoy here because we want to stand up for our freedom. We came from a communist country. We know what freedom is like, so we're not about to see freedom being taken away from our, the American people. If you don't stand for something, and you get older and older, and you don't, you don't realize that you need to stand for something in your life, at some point, you'll be old and empty don't that emptiness that that'd be horrible i know people like that i'm not gonna be one i'm gonna stand for something while i can and freedom is my favorite choice freedom american freedom So it's about 10 a.m. in the Arizona desert, um, the second day of the trucker convoy, and the trucks are leaving, and they're on their way to New Mexico. They're getting hundreds of goodbyes from supporters. I'm seeing American flags, I'm seeing Canadian flags. There's a new flag, uh, there's a, a half American flag, half Canadian flag, which is the first time I'm seeing this. Um, but yeah, lots of support. These mandates are very, very unpopular. Well, there you have it. That's pretty raw footage from our friend Jeremy Lafredo. We're going to have a slightly more uh, edited version of that up uh, very shortly. And um, I hope that I can connect with him today on my evening show. But I'm excited to have him out there. And it really looks great. Uh, the chief difference between it and the Canadian version is it looks not quite as cold down there, although it does look cool. Yeah. I see people in Arizona wearing uh, what I would call winter coats. So, but but I, I think that's just because it's. Uh, I don't see any snow down there. I think that they're they're just sort of terrified by a little bit of chill in the air. But the no, wind. They, seem, they seem like salt <laughs> of the earth folks, great folks, people from a diversity of backgrounds, and um, they you know there's obviously Vietnam vets. Uh, I really like the looks of it. It it really does look inspiring to me. Well, yeah, and I think this will change hearts and minds when you see somebody from Occupy Wall Street in a convoy with people with don't tread on me flags. And then when that person from Occupy Wall Street hears MSNBC or CNN saying this is a white supremacist movement of far right radicals or whatever, it will wake them up to the fact that they've been lied to for so long. It's a very interesting group of people there. Isn't that the truth? So that's Jeremy Lafredo. He's doing a Basically a two-week stint for us. I'm very excited about that. And um, and we also have another video. I'm not sure if it's up yet, but I expect it Im imminently. We have a new talent that we're trying out in the New York City, a young lady named Siobhan Brandman, uh, Brandman who uh, I, I don't know how the, the algorithms uh, brought us together, but TikTok <laughs> said, hey, Ezra, um, take a look at this. And also a woman of the left who can't believe that the left has sold out on these issues of the day. 
So um, she's tried some streeters, which are just what they sound like, uh, talking to men on the street. So I expect to have our first video up by Siobhan uh, today. So, you know, I mean, these are these are just sort of dip our toe in the in the swimming pool moves. Uh, you know, being a rebel is a hard job because um, it's a wonderful job, I think, but it's hard because you're you're a dissident, you're a disagreeer yeah. for, for the establishment narrative, and sometimes that that's hard. Um, so I can only imagine how hard it would be in a place like New York City. Yeah, but. Um, pretty those, easy here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some people, though, they are naturally that way. A quick anecdote, you know, my wife's aunt, who's from Khabarovsk, Siberia, she, um, I talked to her about uh, what it was like under the Soviet Union. And, and she said to me that the people who got in trouble with the KGB we're not in the main political dissidents. Did I ever tell you this, Sheila? They're not, they weren't, like it was very rare to find an, a freedom dissident, uh, an anti-Soviet activist. Like the, those were very, very rare, especially at somewhere like in the middle of Siberia. I mean, you'd probably have them in intellectual circles in Moscow or St. Petersburg or wherever, Odessa maybe. But um, she said that the people who were in trouble the most were just quirky people, eccentrics, eccentrics, people who had a personality. You know, I would imagine people who today we would say he's on the spectrum. You know, people who are a little irritating and they maybe didn't yeah. know it. And because of the snitch culture and the police state culture, you bug something. I mean, it, it, you get ratted out. You get turned in. Maybe there was a genuine political or even police reason to turn someone in. But more likely, it's just that you offended someone powerful. And so they said, get rid of this guy. And they did. And it reminds me, actually, of what I learned from another police state of sorts, which was when I was in Israel a decade ago, and I was talking to one of the counterterrorism guys who was uh, operating in the West Bank. And, and, and he said that one of the chief reasons people turned in um, terrorist plots was for a personal reason, a vendetta. You slept with my sister and then humiliated her. You slept with my brother and, you know, or, you know, your, I, you know, that it was often an honor thing, a sexual honor thing, or just a vengeance thing. The ultimate I'll get you was I'll turn you into the Israeli counter-terrorist police. And, and this goes to my point with, um, you know, in Khabarovsk, it was just anyone who was a little contrarian, they would be removed from an unfree society. And what's my point other than telling a couple of personal anecdotes like that? My point, Sheila, is that part of the West is you're allowed to be contrarian. You're allowed to be eccentric. You're allowed to be a little bit unusual. In fact, there's sort of this wonderful British aesthetic stereotype of the mad scientist, the the local eccentric, you know, a little bit goofy, wearing, you know, I mean, you can see it in Mary Poppins, the guy who dresses up like he's a captain of a ship, but he's actually just the ship is in his house. Like just the idea of being a little weird, a little dis dissident, a little different, 
but being accepted in society, that used to be a wonderful part of being in the free West, where you yeah. got to be a little bit unusual. Those people are being thrown out, and those are in many ways the canaries in the coal mine for society, because those are the people who color outside the lines. Yeah, that's that pop, Mary Poppins. That's exactly what I mean. Thanks for finding that. And my point is, um, they're going to be the first to go, because they're the ones who irritate yeah. someone, who bug someone, who are not conformist. They're not cheering when they're supposed to cheer. And I believe that being a rebel news reporter is being a dissident, but it's also a place where other dissident people can say, okay, I'm not going to be bugged. I'm not going to be bothered. I'm not going to be shunned and shamed. And we've lost that. That's part of cancel culture. That's part of deplatforming. Unless you're a cookie cutter, what is approved aesthetically, personality-wise, politically, socially, um, you're going to be thrown out. And I think that I, I think that's part of our rebel mindset. I know that was a very lengthy indulgence by me, Sheila, but that's another reason I like these live streams. You know what? It's funny because I found myself doing a lot of reading on what it was like in East Germany uh, during the time of the Stasi. And I think I can draw a straight line from that to Ottawa and <laughs> what prompted me to do that. But one in three people there, one in three were under investigation by the Stasi yeah. for crimes. And it was it was exactly what you say in these other authoritarian places that if you were annoying, snitch culture was weaponized against you. They didn't like how you cut your grass. Well, they would report you to the Stasi and that they used the police state to carry out their personal vendettas, much like in the West Bank. That And I often wondered how we moved so fast to other people yelling at you in the grocery store because you're using the wrong lines. Uh, you're not following the arrows on the floor. I think it's a condition of humanity. It isn't It isn't unique to COVID, apparently, because it happens everywhere where snitch culture is a virtue instead of something I find grotesque. Mm -hmm. Well, um, it's 1223, and yeah. we haven't even tucked into the main nope. thing I want to talk about. <laughs> And I want to talk about what I call fake sanctions against Russia. I want to say that I think Vladimir Putin is um, authoritarian. I think he's imperialistic. I don't know enough about the modern history of Ukraine and, and Russia to have um, a strong view on it, but I think we can generally say invade one country invading another is not a good thing. Um, but what's striking to me is the difference between the West that says they're against it and what they're doing. Now, there's many things to learn about. I, I don't want to weigh in too deeply on this. I, I honestly haven't been so focused on the trucker convoy. I have so many other things that I don't want to suddenly position myself as an expert on Ukraine and Russia. By the way, my family 118 years ago came from a part of Ukraine called Dniepropetrovsk, which is now called Dniepro. So... I, so the first thing I have to say is thank God I'm here in Canada where these endless wars don't touch me. Um, and, I'm, and, I, and I hate to see the violence being wrought against these cities and towns. But let me just show you what Justin Trudeau said, which is similar to what Joe Biden said. And then let me come back and give you some thoughts on it. So here's Trudeau looking very grave. And listen to what he has to say. Today... 
In light of Russia's reckless and dangerous military strike, we are imposing further severe sanctions. These sanctions will target 58 individuals and entities, including members of the Russian elite and their family members, as well as the Wagner Group and major Russian banks, among others. We will also sanction members of the Russian Security Council, including the Defense Minister, the Finance Minister, and the Justice Minister. In addition, Effectively, immediately, effective immediately, we are ceasing all export permits for Russia and cancelling existing permits. These sanctions are wide-reaching. They will impose severe costs on complicit Russian elites, and they will limit President Putin's ability to continue funding this unjustified invasion. I want to be clear. Our quarrel is not with the people of Russia. It is with President Putin and Russian leadership that has enabled and supported this further invasion of Ukraine. Um, <clears throat> so he's sanctioning 58 individuals, including various cabinet ministers. Now, what does that mean? Did, did they have bank accounts at Scotiabank? Was the... Defense Minister of the Russian Federation, was he, uh, you know, did he have a little savings account at uh, BMO or something? <laughs> I mean, seriously. Yeah. So you sanctioned 58 of the top. Uh, literally anything. Did literally anything he say actually make a difference at all to those 58 people and companies? Now, he said there was one thing I heard him say is he was canceling export permits for Russia. So certain things you need a permit to export for Russia. Okay, but trade typically um, is, is two-way So vodka? Trade. Yeah, that's right. But no, that's no, but, but that's an import. <laughs> See, that's, but that's where I was going, Sheila, because... Yeah. So you can't sell things to Russia. Now. You can't export things. So someone might say, okay, so you're sanctioning Canadian businesses that have customers in Russia. Okay, and maybe maybe there's certain things we don't want to sell Russia. I don't really think we're selling them any weapons. We have a very modest arms industry in Canada. Russia has one of the most developed arms industries in the world, I'd say next only to China and, and America, and maybe the UK. So the sanctions that Trudeau announced are on 58 individuals, and none of whom deal with our banking system. I'll just tell you that right now. They're not, they're not at TD Bank. He's punishing Canadian businesses that were selling things to Russia. Okay, I don't know what was for sale. I don't think it was anything of deep strategic importance to that country. But you'll notice he did not announce any sanctions or prohibitions on imports from Russia. Why would he not do that? Because that would hurt Russia. It would stop them from getting foreign currency. And that would hurt Russian business people. And in fact, as it so happens, Russia's largest export is oil and gas. Yep. It's about 30% of Russia's GDP. I may be off a little bit on that. But it depends, it depends on what source you go to. I, I, I would say 25 to 30% of Russian GDP is energy. 
and about 50 to 60% of their exports is energy. That used to be even higher. It wouldn't surprise me if it's higher. You know, the, the three largest oil producers in the world, and they're pretty much all tied at 10 million barrels a day, it's Saudi Arabia, Russia, and America. And we had an image on the on the screen for a second. Can you put that Bloomberg? Yeah, perfect. That chart. Um, I don't know if you can see that. Who's dependent on Russia's gas? So remember, natural gas is different than oil. Oil is what you refine into gasoline and jet fuel. Oil is very important for you know for for driving. There's also some home heating or bunker oil for for ships, etc. Anything that moves needs oil, but gas is more for electricity and heat. You know, you think about natural gas in your own yeah. home. It's your it's your stove. Um, many houses have a natural gas-fired furnace. Uh, in Europe, there used to be a lot of coal-fired power plants. Some of those are switching to natural gas. Um, natural gas is used in, in industry. It, it really is a source of power. So this chart here from Bloomberg, and I've seen other, I mean, this is, this is five-year-old data. It's even more pronounced now. I mean, seriously, find your own chart. Who's dependent on Russia's gas? 14 countries get more than 50% yeah. of their gas from Russia. And, and you can see the darker the purple, the more it is. So you, Finland, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Belarus. Um, and you can see the pipelines, and this is this is even outdated. It's more. So even France, Italy, and what's so interesting, Sheila, is that Gazprom, which is by far the largest Russian gas company, you can sort of tell by the name Gazprom, they're, they're de deemed a, they're, first of all, they're owned 51% by the Kremlin. So it really is like a state energy producer, but they're deemed a um, strategic corporation, which means all of their foreign contracts have to be approved by the Kremlin. So the price, can you put that map up just for one more second? So the price that uh, Gazprom charges for these different com countries is a politically determined price. So you could have natural gas piped all the way to France being sold at a more, a, a lower price than let's say, what's sold to Poland. Even though, as you can see, uh, it's closer to Russia. Thanks very much. And the reason I say that is that there is a world price for oil and there's sort of regional prices for gas. But with Gazprom, the prices are determined by what Vladimir Putin has to negotiate with them. So if you're obedient and submissive and helpful, he gives you cheap gas. And if not, he He'll give you expensive gas, and he can outright turn it off. As you may know, Russia has on several occasions simply turned off the flow of natural gas to Ukraine in the dead of winter, by the way. And I tell you that to, uh, to let you know that, this, that Russia still sells oil to Canada, too. Yeah. And to the United States. So Joe Biden shut down... Um, the Keystone XL pipeline, which was going to bring 800,000 barrels of oil a day from Alberta down to America. Joe Biden shut that down. He imports oil from Russia instead. That has not been touched by sanctions. Canada, right. Justin Trudeau, shut down the Energy East pipeline that was going to take oil from Alberta, take it to... You know the biggest 
refinery in Canada, Sheila, I know you know this because you've got you, you you know a lot about oil and gas. It's St. John, New Brunswick. It's um yep. it's the Irving. Irving refinery. So where does that largest refinery in Canada get its raw material from? Not from Alberta. They want to. It's actually cheaper for them to get oil from Alberta, but they're not allowed to because Trudeau blocked it. So they have to buy oil and gas. Some of it comes up from American fracked oil, but a lot of it comes from tanker ships from OPEC. So you have Saudi oil sailing all the way to Canada. You have Russian oil selling all the way to Canada. And you heard Justin Trudeau. We played it at some length. He is not cutting off imports from Russia. He's not cutting off the imports. What do you think of that? You know, as you were talking there, boss, I was pulling up the statistics. So uh, exports, total value of Canadian exports to Russia is one-tenth of one percent of our GDP. That's it. It's uh, about half a billion dollars annually. Um, and it's mostly in um, food product. And that's it. So this is really quite insignificant what he's done. And actually imports to Canada from Russia are double that. And they're probably a lot of oil. Um, yeah, yeah, It's it shows as oil and gas. Now, let me show you this. Um, uh, Andrew, I sent you uh, uh, the, the chart. I mean, there's lots of different oil prices because oil is largely a world uh, global commodity. There's different wrinkles. There's West Texas Intermediate, North Sea Brent, you know, Saudi oil. Um, Western the, Canadian Select. Exactly. So <laughs> different. the different kinds of oil have slightly different prices, a couple of bucks more, a couple of bucks less. Uh, So, you know, I don't know what the benchmark uh, would be for the price of Russian oil, but it's not going to be too different from West Texas Intermediate or whatever. So I want to show you what's happened over the last six months with the price of oil. I think we've got a chart there. So roughly speaking, the price of oil well, it's, you don't even have to be rough about it. It's zoomed. It's increased yeah. tremendously for a number of reasons. Supply and demand, obviously the main one. Risk. And there's nothing riskier than war and sanctions. But why do I tell you this? So if oil is now about 100 bucks a barrel, whereas six m- months ago it was half that, and Russia's pumping out 10 million barrels a day. Just, just do some really back-of-the-napkin math with me. So I'm not, I'm not saying this is precise. But if Russia's making 10 million barrels of oil a day, and if the price of oil has gone up by 50 bucks a barrel, and if, in fact, the war makes oil prices go even higher because of risk, so Russia is making $500 million per day more than they were six months ago. Russia is pretty much, we'll get to that video in a second. Yeah, don't put that video up just yet. I want to show that video. It's such a funny video. Um <laughs> So if you are not willing to sanction Russian oil, this war is profiting them. 500 million bucks a day. Now, obviously, war is very expensive. It's probably costing them billions a day. But but you heard Trudeau. He's not putting sanctions on 
on Russian oil or gas. And Europe has refused to stop buying gas from Russia. Where are the sanctions again? I mean, we know Justin Trudeau looked in the camera and spoke very passionately like he was on a first date or something. But but I don't think that he... Um, I don't think he's put a dent in Russia. Do you think those 52 senior Kremlin officials have a bank account, you know, at the Royal Bank of Canada? I don't think so. <laughs> Sheila, I want to show you a funny video in a second, but do you have anything you wanted to, to, to jump in on first? Sure. Uh, I've been doing a lot of research over the years into how we got into this position, and it is the real Russian collusion, in fact. Um, I recall that... Um, there was some investigation done, and I think some of it was actually done by Anne and Phelan McAleer. It was in their movie, Frack Nation. But Russia has been funding environmentalist activist groups in the United States, in San Francisco. They've been giving money to this holding company called Klein. It's Bermuda-based. Klein then gives money to the Sea Change Foundation in San Francisco, where all of these places are headquartered. Sea Change gives it to Tides, and then Tides dumps it into Canada and all around the world to oppose pipelines. And that has been uh, very clear in congressional reports. And in fact, according to WikiLeaks, Hillary Clinton knew about this as early as 2014, and she spoke about it in a speech in 2016. And she was the Secretary of State, so she should know. But when the people on the left won't shut up about Russia collusion, Russia collusion, they're enabling the Russia collusion by their green policies. And people always get on my case, Sheila, why do you care so much about green activism and green policies? Well, this is why, because it has filled up Russia's war machine with money and it's destabilizing Europe now. But don't worry, they got their pipelines blocked. And did you have that clip of Trump lecturing NATO about, uh, yeah, let's play that for a second. So we were, we're talking about all this Russian money and all this Russian oil and gas. Here's a clip from a few years back when Trump was at a NATO meeting. So these are other NATO leaders. You can see Mike Pompeo there. And actually the NATO leaders are loving this because their own, you know, the NATO leadership and the NATO defense ministers, their own politicians refuse to pay for... yeah their military, and they were all in love with this Russian gas. And here's Trump lecturing them. This was actually well-received by NATO, who said, finally, someone's trying to encourage us to stand up to the Russian bear. Take a look. I think uh, it's very sad when Germany makes a massive oil and gas deal with Russia, where you're supposed to be guarding against Russia, and Germany goes out and pays billions and billions of dollars a year to Russia. So we're protecting Germany, we're protecting France, we're protecting all of these countries. And then numerous of the countries go out and make a pipeline deal with Russia, where they're paying billions of dollars into the coffers of Russia. So we're supposed to protect you against Russia, but they're paying billions of dollars to Russia. And I think that's very inappropriate. And the former chancellor of Germany is the head of the pipeline company that's supplying the gas. Uh, ultimately, Germany will have almost 70% of their country controlled by Russia with natural gas. So you tell me, is that appropriate? I mean, we've, I've been complaining about this from the time I got in. It should have never been allowed to have happened. But Germany is totally controlled by Russia. 
Yeah. You know, um, Andrew, type in, go to Google Images and type in Putin and Schrader. Gerhard Schrader is a former chancellor of Germany. Imagine you're the boss of Germany, the, the, the chancellor, like the, that's the equivalent of our prime minister, the American president, like the top, the absolute top person. And you retire and you go to work for Russia. What? That would be like if, um, you know, Bill Clinton or, or Jimmy Carter or or Barack Obama literally went to work. Yeah. So and just just I mean, that's one picture. But if you just I want to show the mass of it. So go to Google image search and just type in Putin Schrader. I want you to see there are hundreds of pictures of them. They are best friends. The the the, the former chancellor of Germany is the pipeline boss for Russia's state pipeline company for Gazprom yeah. and Nord Stream. How? It would be as if Barack Obama, I mean, just look at the, the, the best friends. It would be as if Barack Obama went to work for Venezuela. It would be as if, yeah. it would be as if um, George W. Bush went to work for Cuba. Like, it's madness. Yeah. You know, and, and I was thinking about this the other day. There are 40,000 American troops stationed in Germany. 40,000. Why is Germany getting the economic benefit of this? The, all of those troops should really be pulled out and placed in a more stable, reliable ally like Poland. Yeah. Um, let them have the benefit of the economic uh, stimulus of 40,000 American troops spending their salaries there. Um, and, you know, as you were talking about how uh, Russia basically owns Germany, it's no joke. Germany blocked the sale of uh, Estonia was going to export arms to Ukraine. Germany blocked the sale of that uh, because they were German made weapons. So they're using these back channels to still be overrun, I guess, by the Germ or by the Russians. They're doing the Russians bidding here. I want to show you something. I used to, I mean, I wrote, I wrote a book called Ethical Oil, The Case for Canada's Oil Sands, and then I wrote a follow-up called Groundswell, The Case for Fracking, and I had a whole chapter about Gazprom in there. And yeah. um, I learned a lot about Gazprom because it, it it's a real crony, like like it's half owned by by the Russian government, and so there's all these sort of um, mafia style characters um, who are just placed there. Um, like it, it would be as if an, uh, if the world's largest gas company were owned by Tony Soprano, and <laughs> so it like it's a huge company. It's an extremely like I, I think it is actually the world's largest gas company, extremely wealthy. Um, they just built a staggering new headquarters in St. Petersburg. I don't know if you can call up that image. Just go to Gazprom. Um, like their office looks like it's uh, just just uh, Gazprom office St. Pete. Yeah, look at that. Look at just unbelievably gorgeous. I think that's an artist depiction what? of it, or is that a photo? Um, like it's just unbelievable. It if looks you like had... something you'd see in Dubai, where yeah, they just waste money exactly, on buildings. Exactly, exactly. But I want to show you one of the characters. So it's such a large company. So it has a sports team, 
has a has a football team, soccer team. Yeah, look at that. It's got um, it's got uh, just wow. <laughs> like it, like it's huge. So it it it's like uh, Exxon, right? So I, I don't think Exxon has a has a sports team, but Space but, Needle. <laughs> yeah. So Gazprom does, and so Gazprom has a song, like a corporate song, which isn't that weird, but. This executive of Gazprom, his name is Vladimir Tumayev, and he's um, – so he came up with the idea of a song for Gazprom. But instead of hiring like Celine Dion to sing it or or the winner of the Euro contest, whatever that's called, Vladimir Tumayev said, no, I'll sing it. Oh, I'm loving this idea already for us. So he's like <laughs> – he's like in his 50s. He's like just some he, – he looks like a soprano. And he says, I think we need a company song. And they say, okay, great idea, boss. It's very corporate, yeah. I'm going to write it. I'm going to sing it. I'm going to star in the video. And no one had the courage to say, that's not a great idea. In fact, they all said, <laughs> that's a great idea, boss. <laughs> There's no one who's a better singer than you. There's no one who is a better video rock star than you. This song is really great. And let's make a corporate video. I love it. For Gazprom. And boss, the, other than Vladimir Putin himself, no one could do a better job than you. You're so great. And I swear to God, what you are about to see is real. Let me now play for you. The anthem, the corporate song for Gazprom, sung by no one less than Vladimir Tumayev. Take it away, maestro. Starts well, starts very nicely. Look at that. Oh. That's Siberia. <laughs> Nice. Oh, there he is. Rockstar. This is real. Vladimir Tuyev. Listen to how on he needs auto tune. Gazproma. Officer, your officer, your home. All right, you know the chorus, right? You know the chorus? You gonna join in? You don't know this? He won Russian Idol like seven years in a row for this. You don't know this? Okay, one more. You don't know this? This isn't, you don't have this on Spotify or something? This is, this is my, this is my ringtone. Like, Western oil companies would have multicultural kids running in a field. They wouldn't show anything like pipes. They, they, you would, it would just be wonderful little harmonious United. Here he is, Vladimir Tumayev. Look at that. He's all man. He's 100% man. That's their old headquarters. They have a much fancier building now. Officer Idoma. They look very depressed, actually. 
<laughs> and it's a drinking song. We're gonna. It's a drinking song. This is real. Gazprom. Now, give him credit for one thing. Exxon would never show any actual oil or gas in an ad about oil and gas. They would never show white men working with flames. They would never show anything industrial. They would just be reclaimed forests with multicultural kids playing with a transgender ball or something. But... Uh, <laughs> It, the, the, the words are actually pretty great. It's so hard to dig beneath the ground. Wait. Oh, you need a drink for it. You need a drink for it. There's a lot of Russian eyebrows in there. You know, I'm from Russia. I told you. I'm from Dnipro. It's actually from Ukraine. It's a sad song. It's in a minor key. <laughs> and with the flame. And with the... That's beautiful. That's Vladimir Tumayev. I didn't want it to end. I won't lie. I want to tell you something, <laughs> Sheila. You may think that Vladimir Tumayev is just an oil and gas executive and just the star of Gazprom's video, but he is much more than that. I mentioned before that Gazprom has a soccer team, professional football team, and obviously, duh, he's the coach of it. Duh. (laughs) And, you know, I look at that guy, and he's sort of built like me, which is another way of saying... He's 50 pounds overweight. And he does a lot of thinking about his food that's right. and what goes into his body. That's right. Let's just put it that way. That's right. <laughs> so he's the he's the Gazprom executive. He's the star of the Visa, Vasta, Visa. He's the, he's the star of that, but he is also the coach of the team. And I'm talking young, young football players. That's what they call soccer over there. Yeah. But he is famous, Sheila for playing himself, for saying, (laughs) all right, I'm going to put myself in, lads. And He was the oldest professional player in, soccer player ever in Russia and possibly Europe at 58 years old, 10 months and 19 days. Because are you going to tell him? Right. He's not. (laughs) So he's, he's 45 and well into his 50s. He's in the Russian National Football League, and they're playing against Neftechnik Nizhnekmyamsk. I think I might have pronounced that wrong. And he says, "All right, guys, we're gonna get letters. <laughs> time to time to bring out the big guns, Vladimir Tumayev. Time to bring out the secret weapon. And do you think a single football player would da- dare say no, boss? You're 32 years old." You're 32 pounds too heavy, and you're 32, you know, you, you just, no. And if they wouldn't stop him from singing the song in the music video, do you think they stopped him from playing? That is Gazprom. Now, the story ends 
throw that throw that uh, news story back up there that that Wikipedia. I I mentioned Sopranos. He was charged. I'm trying to remember what he was charged with, but I think he was arrested for like ordering a hit on someone or something. Can you throw up the the Wikipedia there. And again, he I attempted to murder his business partner. Well, I mean, I'm sure he had it coming. The business partner. I mean, he probably criticized his singing or his soccer playing. So I think that he may be in custody to this day. I'm not sure. Um, I think he had his murder charges dropped to organizing grievous bodily harm, to which yeah, I'd say mischief. So what? <laughs> so, you know, isn't that part of the job description of being a Gazprom executive? Anyways, I wanted to show this is you. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing I'm sure story. The other, I'm sure the soccer players on the other team were like, you know what? We're going to let him score because he's going to poison our families as Russian oligarchs tend to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and so p- playing soccer or what they call football over there. He probably was the best player on the team because, oh, yeah. because the other guys, uh, the other goalie would say, if you know it's good for your family, you let Vladimir Kumanyev <laughs> score a point. In bingo. Bingo. <laughs> oh, it's unbelievable. He scored <laughs> seven to zero. Never before is a soccer game seven to zero. How you do this? Oh, Vladimir Kumayev, he scored six points. Six points. Da, хорошо. (laughs) So, yeah, uh, thank you for letting me tell you all these tall tales, but um, part of the reason why is to let you know that Gazprom is doing better than ever. No one in Europe is stopping to buy their gas. No one in Canada or America is stopping to buy their oil. As the risk of war causes the price of energy to go higher, that's going straight into maybe not Vladimir Tumayev's pockets, but Vladimir Putin's pockets. And how can Trudeau stand up there and use his best first date voice and pretend (laughs) that he's doing anything when, in fact, he's doing nothing? He's sanctioning 58 people who don't do business with Canada. He's banning Canadian companies from selling half a billion worth of stuff there. Okay. But he's not actually banning the imports. Why are you banning the good guys from business but not the bad guys? It's it's just quite something. So that's And they've more harsh and you know the only people they've ever really sanctioned? Alberta. Mm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's it. Well, there's a lot there. All right, it's 12:55 and we've got yeah. we've covered remarkably little ground. But I yeah, just thought that, I knew we would. <laughs> I just thought I wanted to share. And, you know, my pronunciation wasn't great, but the vice and not the vice. We drink to you. We drink to us. We drink to Russian gas. Rasiski gas. So it's a drinking song. It's a drinking song. That's why it's slightly sad. Um, Sheila, next time I see you, I'll, I'll bring some extremely cold Russian vodka. And we'll sing the uh, we'll sing the song, and in fact, I think there's probably a rule: you're not allowed to sing it unless you've had two, three, four shots of vodka, because then you get your courage. Right. I mean, well, for those extracting the new sun from down beneath the ground, it's actually a wonderful ode to oil and gas that no Western oil and gas company 
would say, no. they would never praise it. They would say, and we're into renewables and we like the sun and we hate oil. They would be, yeah, you'd have a Suncor ad, yeah. but with wind turbines. Yeah. That's what they would show. Yeah, they actually talk about how hard, like actually the lyrics, if you, you know, first of all, I like the fact it's a drinking song while showing heavy industrial equipment i mean i like it too it's very it's very me <laughs> you should probably record a song like that uh, for rebel news and i obviously you know what boss be... i'm gonna do exactly what uh the gazprom employees did and i'm gonna be like yep you know what not only are you the guy to write it you're the guy to sing it yeah i can't yeah, wait that's right except for i would be smart enough to use autotune Unlike Vladimir Tumia. I don't think you need it. I heard you sing on the yeah. stream oh, here, yeah, and so did yeah, thousands yeah. of other people. Yeah, yeah, so that's great. That yeah. ship has sailed. <laughs> uh, well, listen, it's 12.57, so we don't have too much more time yet. We've covered some ground. We showed um, um, we showed that we've got a lad on the American convoy. We've talked a little bit about um, sanctions and the lack thereof is there anything you want to start we have a few minutes but uh, maybe we should read some comments how's that that's a good way to to, to yeah. close out the show all right yep. so where are we going to see those okay you want to go or you want me to go sure i'll read it be bapas saskatchewan premier scott moe is renewing pandemic emergency orders of march 1st yeah they all are and there's a few reasons for that um, because it justifies their ongoing health orders. I think it might even be required to use an emergency uh, untested drug. Um, yeah. That may be the reason. I'm not, and by untested, I mean all of the vaccines still have years more of experimental tests to do. And the only way you can get that into circulation in a mass basis if you're in some state of emergency. That's literally they're called an emergency use authorization. So that's my theory. Yeah, I don't believe any politician who says it's over until all of the underlying legislation is ripped up. They're all yeah. they're all just biding their time for when they want to reintroduce it. Absolutely they are. Yeah. Um, Mika, people need to begin protesting social credit and digital ID, and you still haven't found a video editor yet, despite me submitting an application six weeks ago. Um, well, um, we are reviewing them. So I, on the video editor's side, um, our head of video, Mocha, reviews the applications. So I can't speak to that. I'll leave that in his judgment. Uh, I think you're right. We have to fight against digital ID. And I think that the Canadian banks love the digital ID almost as much as the government does because the banks and the government are pretty much merged in this country. Let's see if we can bang through a couple more super chats. Sure thing. Uh, we've Go got one from Boken7. My dad stood on the overpass yesterday with a sign. He is a veteran. It was nine degrees and windy. God bless them all. That must You must be an American. Uh, Medcaria, maybe, is how I say that. Uh, dollar, uh, friendly reminder. Unions are as strong as their members. Unions can be vastly different across sectors. Please don't discount the important work that they do and paint them with the same brush. Another thing I learned during the pandemic, there are some good unions who did resist tyranny and others that quickly folded because they are not in it for the workers, they're in it for the union bosses, yeah. it would seem. I think it's time for one more. Yeah, I read this one and then we got a skedaddle, so go ahead. Okay, uh, Schmickle gives us five bucks. Thoughts on Dr. Bonnie Henry writing a book during the pandemic using her platform and making money. A, a, a pandemic so deadly and so busy and such an emergency that you had time to write a book as the chief public health officer. Seems legit to me. Yeah. 
Yeah, just a disgrace. You know, I've written a few books in my day. They are the most time-consuming thing. And um, if you, if you're, first of all, the vanity of I want to tell you how great I am, everybody, is astonishing. And yeah. the, and the fact that it's such an emergency that you have five hundred hours, a thousand hours to write a book because that's how long a book takes. Um, like it, like it, it takes hundreds of hours. Uh, I think that was a disgrace, and the fact that that was permitted and not an obvious conflict of interest, I think, is gross and redounds to the discredit of everyone involved. Well, look, it's uh, after one, and there's so many things cooking. I've enjoyed being back on the live stream. I hope to do it from time to time. Sheila, thanks very much for co-hosting and listening to me sing. And uh, I loved it. You know, um, <laughs> I, I want to let you know that Vladimir Tumiev is not the boss of Gazprom. I think he may be in jail right now. And um, But Gazprom is bigger than ever. And it's just as authoritarian as ever. It's just as controlled by Putin as ever. Um, it's full of Sopranos-style executive mobsters, the biggest mobster of all being Putin himself. And that is who is selling... Well, I don't think we import natural gas from Gazprom. I don't think they bring it all the way to Canada. But they, they sell that gas to Europe, and they sell their oil to Canada. And it is a disgrace that Justin Trudeau buys Putin's Russian conflict oil instead of Alberta ethical oil sands oil and i guess we'll leave it there last word to you sheila well i think this was great i think we should have you back on the stream a little more frequently instead of just whenever you have a minute to pop in i think people appreciate your perspective and um your vocalizing well i'll be doing some more stuff <laughs> yes <laughs> all right well thanks to everybody for watching i'll be on uh, tonight at 8 p.m as i always am on the ezra levant show you can find out more at rebelnewsplus.com until next time on behalf of Sheila and myself, goodbye and keep fighting for freedom. It's going to take a hell of a lot of work to make up for all the damage he's done internationally and nationally. His network of thugs and co-conspirators are going to continue to try to undermine our democracy in the meantime. Imagine what he can do in another year. Imagine what can happen in Ukraine. Make no mistake, this is a full-scale Russian invasion into Ukraine happening right now, and the air raid sirens going off in the Ukrainian capital as we speak. It's going to take a